electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CMNC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Uh, why did the averages roar after the Fed's triple rate hike today? Now gaining 436 points, the S&P surging 2.62%, and the Nasdaq skyrocketing 4.06%. Two words, data-centric. When Fed Chief Jay Powell spoke that phrase, it meant the Fed isn't going to kill us. Normally, two back-to-back 75 basis point rate hikes would be the kiss of death to the stock market. But Jay said it's now important to watch the data after these hikes. If the data stays too hot, of course, he'll keep tightening. But otherwise, he wants to sit and watch. Because at this point, we've gotten enough weak data to justify some patience. And he's officially now ahead, not behind the curve. If that doesn't mean again until September, hey, they got August off. So the Bulls took this as a moment to frolic. And it might be a little bit longer moment than most of you expect. Of course, these Fed Day spikes do not tend to last, though. Hey, you know the last two Wednesday rallies in response to Fed rate hikes have yielded nasty Thursday sales? Sell, sell, sell. You know, after the conversation turned quickly into, uh, okay, how big will the next rate hike be? But there, there really is some softening in the economy this time. And there really is no August Fed meeting. So the odds favor buying, not selling stocks into the next moment of weakness. You know, I don't like to buy on spikes like this one that we had today. But the dialogue will now switch from how big will the next hike be to will there even be a next hike? And if so, it certainly promised to be smaller than the last two. Look, I've long been a J-Pal fan. You know that. I'm on his side. Now, what did I want? I wasn't too critical. I wanted him to do a couple of hundred basis point hikes. But I'll take 275s and then wait. That's pretty perfect. Hence the rally. 
More important, we didn't get what I was most worried about. The market would have been crushed if Powell said the economy remains red hot, nothing's really working, so we may need an emergency rate hike next month to stamp out inflation immediately. Don't take that off the table. It could always happen, but it doesn't sound like it will. All right, we're being a little theoretical, and you know I don't like theories. What I do like is that in today's session, a lot of bears were caught, trapped, filleted, and put on the wall. Kind of like one of those exhibits at the Museum of Natural History. And that left the bulls free to do some trampling. The bears were caught looking the wrong way because they were extrapolating negatives. And look, extrapolation, it can be a fine way to make money. But it can also lead you astray. Lately, I've seen a lot of extrapolations done wrong and very little done right. Think of it like this. Not long ago, a distinctly second-rate company, Snap, reported a simply horrendous quarter, calling out tremendous weakness in ad spending. So what happens? Anything remotely related to advertising on the web gets absolutely crushed. It's a charnel house. After Snap, you think it's impossible that anything good can come from an Internet stock. And that's when the short sellers come out of the woodwork, betting against anything that's even remotely similar. Alphabet, the parent company of Google, starts getting leaned on. Oh, the shorts, what do they think? They think it's easy money. But then Alphabet reports a terrific quarter last night because this is a much better company than Snap with a much higher return on investment for its advertisers. Plus, Alphabet's always first party, meaning you're going right to it so they don't have anyone blocking their data tracking. And Google tells its clients exactly how people got to their site so you know who is going. You get a return on investment. With other kinds of advertising after Apple's privacy changes last year, you have no idea if it's working. With Google, you can actually figure out what your ad spending is getting, so you've got every incentive to spend more. With Snap, it's Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, pop. Next thing you know, Alphabet's up nearly 8% today in response to that excellent quarter. Now, Meta which reported this very evening, did not have a good quarter and did not have a good guide. And yes, indeed, the long knives are out for this stock. But remember, it's down more than 50% coming into the quarter. And uh, and by the way, it was also up 10 points uh, just this session. So it's going to give something back. Was it horrendous? I'm putting it in the not horrendous camp. Did I want it? My My Chapel Trust owns it. I'm putting it once again in the, eh, yeah, we own it. We got a low basis on it. Here's what I expect. Here's what I say. It's not worth selling. I mean, well, it's going to give you a little good give back after that rally of 10. I think it should be expected. Or how about the extrapolation we've seen with the stock of Spotify? Ooh, that's been a nasty one, hasn't it? <laughs> this podcast and music streaming company has been endlessly leaned on by the shorts. It didn't matter that we all loved the company, didn't we? Somehow it got tagged as being a stay-at-home play. And that, that, my friends, is the kiss of death in this market. After all, Spotify is a subscription service like Netflix with growth that seems to have peaked. Also like Netflix, right? Aren't they the same? Wrong. All aboard! Spotify just crushed it with amazing monthly user growth that shocked Wall Street. Extrapolating from Netflix just crushed you! Absolutely, it shredded you, frankly. Spotify jumped more than 12% today. All right, how about Chipotle? Oh, man, I mean, like, we ordered on Fridays, by the way. I don't know if we can get it down here. We always, we were up in Anglewood Cliffs. I don't know if they deliver. Do they deliver Chipotle down here? I don't know. We don't know if they deliver. All right, but anyway, that, that, that's probably a little bit beside the point. 
Um, Jabelli's probably a dangerous stock, right? I mean, it's higher price food, hard to keep help, can't raise price, just like all the other fast food companies. The short slope that this one was just like shooting fish in a bow, which I actually done, by the way, and it's not nearly as much fun as trying to land one in a pond. But today they got shot because Chipotle delivered a blowout quarter last night, allowing its stock to jump nearly 15% today. Hey, why not? The price increase has been met with no resistance, retention of employees. Look, if you know how to manage the place, they aren't going to leave. They stay and stay and stay. Um, and you know what? I mean, can I also add that the um, food is very good? Sure, Chipotle's got, you know, they've got some things that are wrong. Uh, they have a more affluent clientele, so you can't necessarily say that it was because everybody's still going. It's really the wealthier. But so what? Isn't that something the sellers should have thought of before they started shorting the stock? I mean, it, you know, Chipotle's always had a higher price. And don't even get me started on the semiconductor stocks. NVIDIA, AMD, Marvell Tech, of which when Chapel Trust owns all three. Now, each of them has had an Achilles heel that's really been hurting lately. NVIDIA makes cards for cryptocurrency mining. When everyone's given up on crypto, it's kind of like, it looks like a sophisticated pump and dump scheme, doesn't it? It also got exposure to gaming. Oh, my good gaming. Well, yeah, kiss it down. Hey, AMD has the same problems. It's also got personal computer exposure, a business that people are really worried about. Marvel Tech is 5G. Ooh, scary. Oh, I have a scary button. No one wants that anymore. But then Google and Microsoft start talking about how much computing power their cloud businesses need, and boom, it's up, up, and away. Now, it doesn't hurt that the Senate finally passed the CHIPS Act today, a highly necessary piece of legislation that also happens to be very beneficial to the semiconductor industry. And you know we're a bunch of hacks. I'm going to go tell my staff to get us some chocolate chips. I prefer Chips Ahoy, just so you know, in case you want to send them to me. Finally, what could be worse than a telco after AT&T and Verizon both reported, oh, my God, horrendous numbers? Well, at least they got dividends, right? I just imagine what will happen to the dividend-free T-Mobile when it reports. Who wants that? Well, once again, the shorts got it wrong because T-Mobile absolutely blew away the numbers. How? Simple. They're taking share from AT&T and Verizon. Sure, it's a telco, but it's none of the baggage of the other guys. AT&T complained that its customers are paying their bills late costing them hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a billion. Verizon has to spend $10.75 billion on dividends. But T-Mobile doesn't have those obligations. It can plow its cash back into providing service. Plus, unlike the other two guys, T-Mobile doesn't have to raise prices. Just imagine how many customers they'll poach next quarter. Oh, by the way, I spoke to Mike Siebert. It was over here. You see, this is, look at all these crazy people. They do, they do, what do they do? It's like a food stamp. I can't make, I was on food stamps. So that's my staff. I just thought I had to do that. It's kind of just got a kick out of it. But anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now we know the Fed almost certainly isn't done with its hiking, right? We know that inflation's still too hot. As I said earlier, these rallies tend not to last. The market usually reverts to case-by-case stock picking, though. And that's terrific. That's what we do on Mad Money. We now know that Powell doesn't want to cause a recession and doesn't think he needs to cause a recession. So there's an advantage for the bulls here, especially because he's caught up to the curve and maybe past it. But listen, when a company misses and then guides down, don't expect it to rally because that's not how you hook the bulls. Bottom line, the Fed looks to be out of the way until the next mini September. Maybe they're ahead of the game even, but the data's starting to go their way. So let's go case by case. And I bet that with a softer background, the best earnings will be rewarded with higher stock prices, while the declines and everything else, at last, could be more muted. I want to take calls. Let's go to John in Washington. John. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? 
Uh, I'm, I'm doing I'm, well, John. How about you? Okay. I'm down about 10% in Diamondback Energy. Now, with uh, earnings coming up soon, I need to know, should I buy some or sell some or or just wait it okay. out? What do you think? Well, remember, Fang's got, uh, Diamondback, Diamondback Energy, uh, has got a very, very good yield. It's an excellent company. Travis Dice is a terrific CEO. My inclination is to buy it, but it was up five points today, and I tend not to want people to buy something up five. But I would not sell Fang, the real, you know, this is the replacement Fang, because of that yield and because of that management. I think you're in very, very good shape. I think that's all the questions we can take. I love that. I'm saying hi to my staff again because they've done an incredibly good job and I'm in an incredibly good mood. But that's because I'm seeing Jackson Brown tonight. It looks like the Fed is out of the way until the next meeting. I bet with a softer background, the best earnings will be rewarded with higher stock prices. On man tonight! From the health of the consumer to the state of the stock market, Bank of America has its finger on the pulse of a host of topics, and I'm going straight to the source for answers with the company's CEO. Then Ford, holy cow! Put it in the close. I'm going to take a closer look at the results, which look darn good with the CEO. And Shopify announced plans yesterday to lay off 10% of its employees. We've got to figure out what the heck is going on there for e-commerce and the company itself. I'm going to discuss with the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible 
visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After spending most of the year in the doghouse... <laughs> The banks have finally started getting their due over the past couple of weeks. This is a tricky group because the banks instantly become more profitable every time the Fed raises interest rates. But if those rate hikes cause too much damage to the economy, people stop paying back their loans. And the financials suddenly have a very big problem. Today, the Fed gave us another 75 basis point rate hike. And Jay Powell made it sound like he's going to watch the data, meaning he won't totally destroy the economy to save it if he doesn't have to. That's great news for the bank stocks. And among the big banks... The best play on higher rates is Bank of America because it's got a gargantuan deposit base. Doesn't hurt that the last quarter was solid and they have the best technology in the business. One of my favorite things. But don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got to speak with Brian Moynihan, the chairman and CEO of Bank of America, outside of our set here at the New York Stock Exchange. Take a look. Brian, highly unusual. We get one of the largest rate increases our country, the Fed, has ever given us. The market goes up and people cheer. Make some sense of this for me. Well, in the end of the day, inflation is a tough thing. And I think there's quotes about the insidious nature of it and all that stuff going back in history. And what today shows, as long as what the Fed's been doing, is they are going to take this seriously. They're going to raise rates to push down inflation. And by the way, they'll slow down the economy. First, the most rate-sensitive parts, home, auto loans, things like that. But they slow, need to slow down the demand. And yeah, that's that's a good thing, and that that's what they're supposed to do. And they're taking they took the field and they're doing it. Were they late? They admit they're late, so I don't have to say they are late. They they've said it themselves, but they did it. Now, meanwhile, then we could talk about it. One of the toughest jobs they have is the American consumer still in pretty good shape. Yes, and that that makes their job tough. And I'm happy to give you what we see so far this month. And well, stuff. that's the basic issue that he talked about. People are still spending and doing yeah. well. He doesn't want that to end. I think he's got from your data, which is the best in the world, to tell us. Well, he's got a task ahead of him because I just checked. I got I had him get it a day early just for I you, Jim. You so, I knew you would. So the data through last Friday basically says that for the month of July through 25 days or whatever it is, 20 odd days, it's up. It's up about 10 percentage points from last year's July first three weeks, and the transaction growth seven percent, so six to seven percent. So that means it's growing. So what that really means is it 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 is slowing. Like gas purchases went down at a 44 percent year-over-year increase June. 22 to June 21 of spending on gas to a 33% increase. So the pricing's coming down and starting to slow down. But people are spending on vacations. European transactions are through the roof right now. Uh, spending on vacations, theme parks, uh, you know, home improvement, a little bit more mitigated, but still holding on bigger than 19. That's the people, people are missing. The comparison to 19 is critical. So we feel good about the American consumer. They're spending. The money in our accounts continues to grow. As of mid-July, it was the four-month moving average was higher than it was at the end of June. They have lots of borrowing capacity. Our credit card debt was 95, 98 billion before the pandemic and is still running the high 80s. So they still have more room to borrow. Our production of credit cards and other things other than home loans is bigger than it was in pandemic. And then on top of that, you know, they get paid, they're earning money. Now, for the people who are paying a lot for gas and, and housing, you know, that, that is a tricky thing. And so the big issue ahead of us is rent increases because mortgages are locked in, and right. we could talk about that. But the rent increases is what concerns me. And I think, hopefully, 
the landlords and others will start to say, hey, this may be slowing down and we'll take it easy because that's that's the rate. That's the increase that's still ahead of people because, you know, more uh, rents reset sort of on the school cycle, either end of year or beginning year. And, and as people go in their apartments, we want to make sure that they can get into those apartments and have a good life. But overall, the gas seems to be mitigating. House prices seem to be mitigating, so I think it's starting to work, but we got to watch to make sure the rent doesn't kick it back through the roof. Well, is there such a thing as good spend or bad spend? The reason I say that is because whether it be Walmart or whether it be Chipotle last night uh, or whether it be Visa, frankly, uh, the affluent are doing very well and spending very well, and we're beginning to see that divide again in the country that you have spoken endlessly about cannot happen. You have been a great uniter of all the different economic classes. And I worry when I heard the three quarters that Brian would say, you know what, that's bad for the guy trying to buy a car. Yeah. And that's tough for the two family, two, uh, two income family that aren't making more than 80. What do we say here? Well, the, the good news is the account balances of the people who have, say, before the pandemic had, you know, three to five thousand dollars of average in their account. So that's probably a median income earner sort of cycling through their paychecks. They were they averaged three to five thousand. They averaged about thirty five hundred pre pandemic. Those are now sitting at thirteen thousand. So they still have a lot of cash from the stimulus and other things. And by the way, when we look at those people, the, the cash flow is still is more stressed now, a little bit more under right. pressure because of weight, uh, price increases. But it's still positive. Small business originations for us, us micro business, were up ten percent year over year uh, in in the in the in the quarter June month. And so things like that are good news. But that's where we got to be careful. Is that the affluent spending is going to drive a lot of economic activity. And you forget that the key for America is to have every American citizen, uh, a citizen have a great quality of life. And that's where the minimum wage, we're up to $22 an hour starting. And a lot of companies have pushed up, even though the federal minimum wage is 7 or something like that, to 15 starting wage. Even the broad-based retailers are pushing up to that. The benefit coverage, the stimulus was well-placed, especially the last uh, the rounds. Maybe not needed from an economic perspective, but it went to the right people. And those are good things. So hopefully that'll give them the staying power that as this thing corrects itself and gets down to a more normalized growth rate. You know, we our team has a recession picked at the end of this year. Yes. Right. And they were one of the first to do oh, that. I now, know you are. Now, and I, I always say to them, well, you have a recession, but you only have unemployment at, at you know, in the four, low fours. You're saying, can that really happen? And even the Fed's projection unemployment are lower than they'd be. Uh, thinking 16, we were 5% unemployment. We thought we were doing fine in 16. You know, we thought the economy was growing. So I think the question is, is if people stay employed, that's the number one key thing. So hopefully this glide path comes in and that we don't forget that uh, median income and down earning family and, you know, businesses and others give them good benefits, give them good pay and continue to raise it. And then the demand from the general economy keeps them employed. Well, also, you've taught me a great deal about how banks work and how an initial rate hike is very good for bank shareholders. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're the CEO of the bank. You know, I've been recommending the bank because it's the largest depository that can do the best when a rate hike happens. How much can you be expected to make off a three-quarter move here? Well, what we told people, if you follow the curve for, right. when, at earnings, so we told them that we'd be up, uh, I think it was 900-ish to a billion this quarter, and the next quarter be like amount. Now the problem is some of the midterm rates can affect that. Right, You've seen them come down. So, but but I think that's that's our core uh, view, and and that's on top of a, I think it was uh, several hundred fourth quarter, first quarter, and six uh, eight hundred first quarter, second quarter, then a billion, two billion year over year. We can make more money now. All, to me, the rates pass through the customer right. base on the deposit side. But we have what makes us strong is the sheer dollar amount of transaction checking. We have across all our platforms. Yeah, well, it's the wealthy people in Merrill Lynch and the private bank, whether it's the 
business, uh, small business customers or whether it's the consumers or whether it's the companies, it's dominated by zero interest stuff, which is always zero. And that's why I always say to people. So we're a mix of deposits that is very much stronger than our competition. Simply put, at about a true trillion dollar level of deposits, we paid 11 basis points last quarter, which is a pretty powerful franchise. But that, frankly, if you look back last year, the year before, we are supplementing by not going below zero. So for our shareholders, this is actually where they recover some of the value. But are you tired of hearing, well, wait a second, that doesn't matter. The uptick in bad loans will wipe out whatever the bank makes. I just think that's just not an understanding of what you've been teaching us about the American consumer at this point. So two things. One is, in our company, we drive responsible growth, and that means yes. we have done it. So 10 out of the last 11 years, lowest losses on the Fed's stress test, which assumes that you go to 10% unemployment like tomorrow morning right. and it sticks there for nine quarters. <laughs> uh, and so that's good. But the, the reality is what we see in the delinquencies at the end of June, no tick up in delinquencies. And we even put it in our earnings stuff. Even among the lower FICO people, which we have a very small percentage of, there's five and 30 day delinquencies on cards are, are lower than they were by the pandemic by a lot. They came down and they've sat there. So that's the good news. Now, you're seeing some consumer delinquencies in other companies. Right. But they deal with a different, a different lending different practice. Way, different but but in our lending practice, we're good. But overall, though, and, and people have to be careful, overall, it's only reverting back to where it was in 19. And 19 was very good credit time for banks. People Secret. are saying, well, it's well, normalized. You're saying that was way below no, normal. We like and this. We like this. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, thank you for coming to our new home. Next time we talk, we have to talk some social. We have to talk some fintech because I know you'll be back. Yeah. Promise me? Yeah, I'll come back. Okay, thank you. Brian Moynihan, Chairman and CEO of Bank of America. Brian, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, is this stock built tough enough to anchor your investments in EVs? Earnings are on the brain. Kramer gets the latest from Ford. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What the heck do we do with the auto stocks? Well over a year now, this industry's had too much demand and not enough supply, thanks to the semiconductor shortage. Now we're finally getting enough chips, just as the Fed raises interest rates aggressively, making it much more expensive to get financing for a car. Needless to say, it's been a bad year for the auto group, including Kramer Fave Ford Motor, which we own for the Chapel Trust. It's the CNBC Investing Club name. But tonight, Ford reported a magnificent quarter with much better than expected sales, earnings, and cash flows. Plus, management reiterated their full-year forecast and even raised their dividend by 50%, setting the stock screaming higher in after hours trading. And that's on top of a 5% rally during the day. So is this thing turned? And where is the company when it comes to EVs? Just after the close, we spoke with Jim Farley, the president and CEO of Ford Motor. Take a look. 
Jim, I know you believe that you must finish first and that if you come in second, that means you're first loser. I'm looking at these numbers. You came in first. How did you get both a dividend boost and these awesome adjusted free cash flow and earnings? Well, Jim, it was a scrappy quarter. I hate to say that in business, but... You know, the team fought for every chip. We, we did a great job mitigating all the uncertainty. And I'm most proud about two things. The cost, or even though we have a lot of inbound costs we can't control, the cost we can control, we did a great job. And the second thing is a lot of our cash now from the profits is flowing into cash flow. We had to restructure the operations for so many years to get the profitable forward. And now we're kind of through that. So it's a good solid quarter. No drama, but I'm, I'm happy to say we're in good shape. Now, Jim, you always promised me that it wouldn't be long before you didn't make a vehicle that lost money. I look at 68 cents earnings per share versus 45 cents consensus, and I now believe in an incredibly short time you make money on everything that you build. We are now. I mean, uh, profitability is great, but we have one big challenge in front of us, one big opportunity to totally transform this company, and that is to make money on these electric vehicles we're investing in. Uh, the second cycle of products. We're now starting to ship a lot of subscriptions, which we never did before. We have a really bright future, but we have to deliver profitability on our EVs. Now, given the fact that you have this much cash flow, plus the money from Rivian and a battery source, this to me sounds like that 600,000 EVs by the run rate at the end of 23 is not a pipe dream, but a reality. It's not a pipe dream. I mean, we're down to the number of batteries. We're really excited about the LFP bringing that in. That will really help our profit and, and bring down the cost of our EVs because they're less exposed to lithium and nickel prices. Um, so, you know, that's 600. I mean, that's only that's like 14 months away, Jim. Like we built the factories. The batteries are coming. The vehicles are developed. We know we got the demand for the vehicle. Now we just have to build them. So we're, I think we're in good shape. Now, how did you decide to raise the dividend again? You know, we have a lot of confidence, obviously, that we wouldn't have done it if we didn't have confidence in our earning power. Um, and, that, and that's great. But the most important part about that decision is that we have plenty of cash to fuel our transformation. We're investing like $50 billion in our growth business, and we have plenty of cash to fund that, even if we get more headwinds on cost. All right, now let's say I wanted an electrified F-150, a Lightning. Could I just uh, get one as soon as I wanted to, or is there maybe a week or two wait? <laughs> I'm sorry, but you have to wait probably two years. It'll be Christmas in a couple years. I mean, we're totally <laughs> sold out. We are, we are going from 80 to 150,000 units on Lightning next year. We're getting the LFP battery in, which will make it more affordable. But, Jim, we are totally oversubscribed. So it's our job to scale. All right, can I get a Mustang? Can I get a Maverick? Maybe I, you know, possibly get a Bronco. Can I get any of these Fords? 
You'll have to be patient. I'm so sorry. Uh, our vehicles are totally out of control in terms of demand. I've never been in this situation in my life, but um, it's a good situation. Uh, high class problem. Uh, we are building a new Mustang, and I got to tell you, as long as as strong as our lineup is now, we're coming out with a new Super Duty, which is our cash flow, you know, king in, at Ford, and that's right around the corner. So we have a great lineup. It's going to get better. So, and of course, we have all of our electric cars coming in, and the ones we have are sold out. It's a very unusual situation, but you know, that's why we're working so hard like the last quarter to get the chips. In, in the meantime, commodities have come down, aluminum's come down, steel's come down a little. Where are we with chip availability and other uh, in the commodities? Look, the chips, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I stopped um, counting on anyone in the supply chain a while ago. I mean, honestly, uh, scrambling is a core competency in our business now. Uh, you got labor shortages in the supply chain. There, there's a lot of, uh, you know, cost and pressures, as you said. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're ready. We, we want to be ready for any headwinds to come our way in the next 12 months, whatever that is. We are seeing commodities ease, but I got to tell you, that doesn't give me much comfort. You know, we have to execute, and that means building product, right. working with our suppliers, and we got to fix our quality. All right, now they tell me Farley can't build both, uh, you know, combustion engines and at the same time do EVs. Nobody can get it done. The only guy who can build EVs on scale, of course, is Elon Musk while he's running Twitter. Uh, can you put a lie to that one year from now? You know, look, we, we've had to make tough choices on capital allocation, no doubt about it. But the thing that people don't maybe realize at Ford is we shrunk our whole ICE business around our most profitable vehicles like you and I were talking about. So our ICE vehicles are very profitable. We, we don't really lose money in any regions anymore. China was a bit of a hiccup with the Shanghai shutdown, but, you know, we're, we're near break even there. And, and so we're in a kind of a magic position now with a brand new ICE lineup. Uh, that's very profitable, um, but absolutely, we have to make tough choices around al capital allocation, and we are leaning into the growth business of going digital with these EV products, but that doesn't mean we're going to walk away from our ICE products. A lot of duty cycles, like Super Duty, you're pulling a fifth wheel in, in Montana, you're not going to buy an electric vehicle. You know, for those Super Duty customers, they want an ICE Super Duty. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, you're a race car driver. If you have a big race, do you take a victory lap or do you start thinking about winning the next race? You know, uh, no, absolutely no victory laps at Ford. We are in the first inning in this transformation. It's going to be the biggest thing that happened at Ford since the Model T scaled. There are no victory laps at Ford. We are happy, but we are not satisfied. We have work to do on quality, scaling our electric vehicles, making 8% uh, on them. Uh, we have a lot to do at Ford. Great quarter, but that's not how we run things at Ford. And you did say at one time that it wouldn't matter, that you had unbelievable names, that, that Maverick did sell, that it would be Bronco. You know, for the longest time, it really didn't matter what you had. Other than the F-150, no one seemed to care about what Ford made. It's different now, right? Are people begging you for cars, begging you for what, for Broncos? They begging for that, the Area 51 Bronco? 
<laughs> Absolutely. You know what, Jim, you're right. You know, I, even my, I mean, everyone, everyone in my neighborhood comes up and says, hey, Jim, uh, nice to see you. Anyways, can you get me a Bronco? <laughs> so if, if my neighbors are doing it, your neighbors are doing it. Uh, they all want a car from Ford, which is, which is great. But, you know, the onus is on us of keeping that up. We're working on products two, three years from now, and they got to be even better than today. And that's our job. All right, we're going to hold you to it, but so far you've delivered on everything you said and more Jim Farley, President and CEO of Ford. Congratulations, sir, on a great quarter. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. Coming up, they help small businesses launch into the digital era, but this company might be occupied by problems of their own. Kramer finds out what's ailing Shopify next. Sometimes the stock gets so beaten down that there's nowhere left to go but up. Take Shopify, the e-commerce facilitator that was one of the hottest stocks of the COVID era, only to collapse from 176 and change last November down to the 30s as of today. We know this industry is struggling, and yesterday we got still more evidence when Shopify announced it would be letting go 10% of its workforce, something that sent the stock down 14%. Then this morning, Shopify reported a quarter that fell short of expectations on every major line. Management even said things would get worse this quarter before getting better during the holidays. And what happens? The stock jumps nearly 12%. Why? I think it's because the bad news was already baked in. After all, you don't lay off 10% of your employees when things are going well. The question is, is this the real bottom, or do we need to worry about another leg down? Let's figure that out by talking with Harley Finkelstein, president of Shopify, who joins us now. Mr. Finkelstein, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, always so great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, Harley, I know it is not in your DNA to have to let people go. It's in your DNA to hire, make people put food on people's table and pay for their medical bills. These are tough things for you. Tell me how it happened, because I share with you the ambitions of Shopify. Oh, thanks for that. Look, I think 2022, it, it turned out differently than we expected. Um, but I still believe that Shopify... We're, you know, we're in an enviable position in a very large growing market. But let, let's talk about what, what happened here and, 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 and talk about the pandemic. I mean, during the pandemic, we made a bet that retail spend would disproportionately favor e-commerce at a much higher pace than it has. And we built for that digital leap. We staffed, we expanded the company to meet that future earlier than it arrived. And, and I think we overshot our prediction. And now we are recalibrating. And, and as you see people shopping in stores again, e-commerce is now trending back to, to what we believe is a more normalized growth curve. That said, you know, when you look at the physical retail uh, GMV on Shopify, this quarter, we saw offline GMV grow 47% year on year off a 22, excuse me, a 266% last year. So despite the normalized growth in e-commerce, I think we're still very much uniquely positioned to help merchants succeed. And you're seeing the large brands like ASICs and Gold's Gym come on to Shopify. What we're also trying to demonstrate, and I think we did today on the call, was that we, we have operational discipline in our DNA, and we remain focused on, on helping merchants. And, you know, in terms of where we're at right now, Shopify right now is about 10% of all U.S. e-commerce sales. We think our, our GMV growth, it did outpace the rest of the U.S. market in, in, in this quarter, and it'll continue to outperform the broader market over the, for the rest of the year. GMV was up 11% year-on-year uh, year to $46 billion. That represents about a three-year cash 
of 50%. And so, you know, we saw revenue grow 16% to 1.3 billion in Q2. That's a three-year category of 53%. So I think our business model has built in buffers to weather the storm and, and we have more than $5 billion of cash on our balance sheet. So we think we're in a good position, but it certainly has been a hard, uh, hard day for okay, us. Okay, so let, let, let's posit this. Uh, let's say things get a little better uh, next year at this time. I mean, is there something that's changed besides this? Because I know you've been able to take losses, absorb losses. Was this just going to become a bigger black hole each quarter? Because otherwise, I mean, if things are so good, why let anybody go? No, look, the reality is that uh, we we bet that e-commerce uh, was going to be a much larger part of the of the greater retail mix. And we knew that if that actually happened, we, we would be best positioned. We now have more information and now we're re- recalibrating. But the reality is, Jim, as you know, Shopify has been profitable for five years through 2021. And you know now that our merchants account for 10% of all US e-commerce sales, we have a real opportunity here. But we have been operationally disciplined and we're steering the company from a position of strength. And, and again, the idea of balancing our spend to focus on the most important initiatives is what we're doing right now. And on top of that, one of the things we're really proud of is what we call our product usage, uh, uh, our product uses metric. And what that is, is that's our merchant solutions revenue divided by GMV. And that's the highest it's been. And we'll continue to climb through the rest of the year. That means that not only are more people, more merchants coming to Shopify, they're using us for things like capital and payments and shipping and all these other, all these other things as well. And I think that is really important. All right. So Harley, I got to be sure. This is not related to any sort of downturn in small or medium-sized business. I know you also have large users, too. It's not, it's not a worry about what Jay Powell is concerned about, which is that we could have, if things continue to weaken, it could be bad, too. This is just a reflection of internal things that you needed to be done, not weakness in the consumer and not weakness necessarily on the seller. Well, look, I think Shopify is very much a proxy for small business. The vast majority of the millions of merchants on Shopify are small businesses and, 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 and independent entrepreneurs. And the fact that we have outpaced the broader market, both on online GMV this quarter and offline GMV, tells you and suggests that, that a lot of these small businesses are actually doing really well. But regardless of economic fluctuations, the reality is independent businesses need to be able to, and eat, to, be able to easily and affordably manage their businesses. And we are giving them the tools to do so. So so, for example, when, when the pandemic hit and retail, physical retail shut down, we went to work. We built brand right. new uh, point of sale products, both hardware and software. We began to ensure that more merchants can use our physical retail when things reopened. And now that's happening. It's leading to a 47 percent year on year growth in offline GMV. Well, look, I think that, I, you know, I'm a huge believer, a user, think it's going to be terrific. I understand the hard choices you had to make. But I think this time next year, when you, you and I are talking, your stock will be higher and the business will be great. I want to thank Harley Finkelstein, president of Shopify. It's so great that you came on on an admittedly very hard couple of days for your great company. The future's bright, Jim. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Man, buddy's back in. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, tell me the lightning round. I'm going to start with Jim in Georgia. Jim. Hey, Jim Bob. Booyah. From a Jim Bob to a Jim Bob. Um, hit me. Hit me. I, I am an Investors Club member. Uh, yes. I, um, 
I've got a, a question about a diversified global food company. Uh, okay. You, uh, the other day you were saying that uh, you're, you're um, scared about U.S. companies with international exposure. Well, this one has yes. it, but it, but it has a nice dividend. Had it double okay. beat earlier this what year, low PE. I'm talking about be? Archer Daniels Midland. I like Archer Daniels. You know, it's been a little. I've been a little for a while. These prices has come down a lot. I say we buy it. Let's go to Molly in Florida. Molly. Hi, Kramer. I just wanted to say I really love your show. Thank you, Molly. Yeah. And you my got mom a stock is too? here because I'm not 18. So. Oh, all right. That's very kind. I'm glad you like the show. A lot of younger people like the show. We saw that outside. What's up? So Ma? I have a question about Play Checker, PLT. You know, we looked at it. It's a very inexpensive Israeli company. Now, the stock is going down since we liked it, so we've not necessarily been in the great call on it, but it's very inexpensive. Can we go, please, to Frank in Texas? Frank! Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a previous caller no and an avid club member. Thanks for what you do Excellent. so well. Ah, oh, man, club. We got some good stuff coming out tonight. How can I help? My question is lithium. Have you got any recommendations for investing in this Oh, uh, you know, I, the one I really liked is Albemarle. That's a real company, and I think that you have to be very careful because the group is very high. I actually would rather buy Tesla, which buys a lot of lithium. Let's go to Richard in Florida. Richard! Jim, congrats on the move to the New York Stock Exchange. I'm a big oh, fan. Oh, thank you. I love it here. Okay, uh, well, he's going to be here in my pajamas. I see him right over there. What's that? Jim, buy dollar hold on Perian Network. Again, you know, it's another one of these Israeli companies that makes a lot of money, but it just has not made a lot of money for shareholders. So I can't rave about it. I'm go- Oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, to get the real skinny on Silicon Valley, listen closely to the CFO. Kramer explains his earnings hack. All right, let me open your eyes to the way this game really works during earnings season. Last night, there was pure chaos in Alphabet and Microsoft after they reported. Initially, they were being just sell, 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 because the numbers seemed to be weaker than expected. They were down big. Now, that's nuts. Microsoft's a $2 trillion company. Alphabet's a $1.5 trillion company. These are some of the largest businesses on earth. They're very well run, and for the most part, the shareholders know what they're doing. Sure enough, both stocks came roaring back. And anyone who sold them into the pullback now justifiably feels like an idiot. So what should have happened? Well, first, you need to know that with outfits like Microsoft and Alphabet, their valuations tend to be set not by the CEOs, but by the CFOs. The CEO gives you a broad overview, talking about some excitement involving customers or the macro, big orders one. And so let's call it a 30,000-foot overview. But the CFOs tell you the numbers. Yes, the chief financial officers are the ones with the goods, the ones that matter. Amy Hood's been the CFO of Microsoft for almost a decade, and she's just playing money. Last night, she talked about how despite the headline numbers, things are much better than you think. And the forecast was truly superb. She also explained how when you account for a depreciation issue, the forecast is even bigger than the analysts initially thought. 
Before Hood came to Microsoft, she was an analyst at Goldman Sachs. So when you say she should raise, you, you should raise numbers, well, you got to. You got to listen. Hey, how about Alphabet CFO? Ruth Porat is probably one of the five smartest people I've ever come across in corporate America. She laid out a business-as-usual look at the company, meaning even if you really thought the numbers were misses, she explained everything, including currency. After listening to her, I think Google remains the absolute best vehicle for advertising for anything travel and leisure. These happen to be the best markets in the whole wide world right now. The problem for all of these traders who act on the headlines is that the headlines for these two companies almost never tell you the whole story. You have to wait until the CFOs start speaking on the conference call, and they usually don't speak until later, right around the middle. If you understand this dynamic, you could have cleaned up last night. But if you took your cue from the headlines, you missed a terrific move. The conference call cadence isn't unusual, which is why it drives me so crazy that so many money managers can't seem to adjust. Trading off the headlines from these really big companies like Apple, like Amazon, and like these two, it's just plain moronic. Why does it happen? I'm convinced there's a generation of non-homework-driven traders out there who simply think they can read a quick headline squib and actually make money. That may have been the case two or three decades ago, but it's no longer the case. Companies like Google and Microsoft have gotten so big and so complicated, the headline writers are simply clueless. But they got to publish something, even if it's misleading, to compete against the other services. And they got to be first, even if they haven't heard from the CFO yet. Both Microsoft and Google saw their stocks rally at the CFO spoke. Hood and Porat are the ones who actually turn these things around. But you're not a headline writer. You can afford to wait for the CFO section of the cop school before you pull the trigger. That's the smart way to try to make money in this business, because until you hear from the CFO, you don't know anything. In this business, ignorance isn't bliss. Ignorance is loss. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.